Welcome to Moving the Rock. Whether sales is all you do or only part of what you do, the strategies and tactics of success can often feel split between two realities. You can become someone you're not to earn the recognition and praise of people you don't respect, or you can try to figure it out on your own, knowing you'll underperform your potential. We're here to offer a third way. The idea that you can't have success without compromise is just wrong. You don't have to compromise to win in the long term. You can play the game in such a way that you win in the short term and the long term. Through our hard lessons learned, we can shift your way of thinking and create a better way. I'm Chris, founder of SightShift. And I'm James, founder of Florist Group. If you're tired of the status quo, we're here to help you move the rock on your career, your business, and your life. Welcome. Chris, when I first started in uh, in sales, uh, I started in venture back companies, and uh, it was amazing, just an amazing experience. One of the awesome realizations when you're starting with a small company is uh, that when, when you experience an event that really exemplifies how much you've grown. Uh, we were in Boston at the airport waiting for a flight. And I bumped in to another sales guy who was going to a sales call. You know, so it's like we realized at that moment, wow, we are big enough (laughs) 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 to be bumping into each other without realizing we were both traveling. Wow, man, this is awesome. And we were just so psyched. That became the measure (laughs) for success. Yeah, we arrived. What does this have to do with our topic today? Well, it was amazing. Uh, yesterday, I, I was an f- old friend of both of ours. Shannon reached out to me and she's like, Jimmy, did you train so-and-so on the wins methodology? And she's like, and I'm like, no, I don't think so. She's like, she did wins on me. And I, I followed it step by step, but I knew, I knew it was you. I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, this is Jimmy was here. And so it's like the same kind of thing, right? St- people start using your methodology people recognize it and it's like, wait a minute, that's even, I didn't train her. Where'd she get her hands on that? Right. So it's kind of like, it's grown beyond, you know, that's awesome. It was was gratifying. Beautiful. Heck yeah, man. That's uh, you know, when we, I know today we're talking about the tool set when a tool is intuitive, when it maps onto your life, you use it. You learn it, you get it. You can spend a lifetime exploring a great tool to a mastery level, but at a beginner level, you can immediately yeah. apply it. It's, it's intuitive. Um, yeah, and today what we're, and I know we're going to talk about other fun stuff today, right? I want to get to Putin since you brought it up before the show. <laughs> <laughs> the idea here, gang, is that, you know, we talked about wins, but how do you transform wins into a tool set that you can actually deploy as a discipline for your sales team and then have it live in CRM and everything else. So we think about this concept of stages and gates. The stages are want, impact, need, solution. They are the four stages of the process. The idea is you want to go deeper. How do you know you can move from wants to impact and impact to need and need to solution? You've got to have gates, You've got to know what information to collect at each stage before you can proceed. Now, what is important here, Chris, is that when I say before you can proceed, is this 
lockstep, written in stone. We all know what a sales conversation is like. It takes you all over the place. It makes you, you know, you meander. You, you are to some degree <clears throat> dancing with the buyer. You've got to go where they want you to go and you've got to bring them back to where you want them to be. However, the process is critical because you want to know ultimately where you stand in the deal. So does your boss. And you want to eventually be able to forecast this thing. So you can go where your client wants to take you. You can take them where you want to go. At the end of the day, are you collecting the information, the data, the evidence that says exactly where you are in that deal? So you know, and now you can forecast accurately and then plan your next meeting appropriately. Mm. And the gates are the way, the stages, once impacts need solutions, we're running through these stages. The gates represent the transition moments in between. The gates represent um, the transition moments. They represent the data that you want to collect. So for example, in the wins uh, stage, that is where you identify whether or not there's an active buying cycle. Because you know, somebody can reach out to us and say, hey, we're interested in training. Cool. And then you could you could ignore the want stage and just say, okay, what do you need? What's going on? And now they've got you sucked into this information education process. And they may not be really engaged in an active buying cycle. How do you qualify the yeah. active buying cycle? Well, and, and that for me is this, the mistake that I've made that the wins model pauses me from is I run into this solution before it's ready and I've failed to help them think as big as possible. And so that's where I love, you know, you just do this so often. I see you do this weekly or more, multiple times a week where you're taking something and then making it so much bigger through that process of pausing and asking those questions. So yeah, they come in, they want some training and you're not even finding out how much more opportunity is really here. So, so then you don't cross that threshold where you're the rational favorite and you're the emotional favorite. So then they're not attaching the investment they're making in you to this bigger outcome. Right. Um, now, I, I'm intrigued about something because you use this word about the threats to right. the buyer. How does that play into this part right, of the so, process? So let's think about, let's go through it really, we'll go through it lockstep and we won't get distracted. And I'll make this really quick. So once, Or we could role play it. Okay. Let's role play it. <laughs> okay. Let's you do it. To? So, um, so set it up, man. Set up the role play. All right. I, I, I'm engaging you for some okay. training and I'm really excited. So I reach out to you and we've got a call. We're kicking off. Yeah, so so-and-so gave me your name. We've got this issue happening with our, our team, and we need what you train in so that we can uh, stop having this bad thing awesome. happen. So what I would normally ask just to go through the role play is, what do you, what does your business do? How do you make money? What are the uh, major leverage points in your in your business cycle? What are the things that, what are the metrics that you track? I'd go into all kinds of detail. And at the end, I'd say, okay, great. So why am I here? What's the goal that you want to achieve? So, and, and when you say that, you're asking them what they want. And I'm going to play along a little bit like I've experienced business owners, founders, and leaders. 
And so, well, I, I want this problem to stop so we don't get held okay. back by it anymore. Uh, so we love to we love to help folks solve their problems. What's the ultimate goal for the organization? Let's say that you got rid of the problem. What would your organization be able to achieve? The business in terms of its growth, its vision. Paint that bigger picture for me. And I'm going to use things that people have said right to me. Um, well, I'll be able to uh, pay my employees more. So, you, so the idea here is um, we get rid of this problem. We create growth. We create enough cash flow, a high enough margins that your employees actually are allowed, you know, realize more value for the organization. So you can start giving them um, the compensation that they want to, uh, that they, that they're, that they're worth because, it, and I'm assuming this is around retention and all kinds of other things that are important to you. Is that, is that right? Yeah. We've got great people. I want to keep them. I want to take care of them and I want to pay them more. And I'm intentionally doing something that business owners do a lot with me that I'll reveal. In a All right. Minute. So, so in the context of this role play, stepping out for a moment, so that listeners get it. I mean, what the idea for, for me is when I start with wants, I want, as Chris said, to paint the biggest picture. And I'm going to, I'm going to continue to ask what else, what else, what else, what else, because what I want is now we're talking, I'm talking to a business owner here, a CEO. Um, if you, if you deal with uh, mid-level managers or people that, that are, decision makers in their division, that's fine. Ask them these questions in the context of their division or the context of their scope. But the point here is that at the want stage, we're talking to the decision maker or a representative of the decision maker, and we're exploring uh, the big goals and vision um, in the context of the decision-making power that they have. So that's why we're talking to a CEO about the vision for their business. And I'm going to continue to ask what else, what else, what else? Now, that's their world. Now, the next question, Chris, I'm going to get into is, thank you, Chris, for the insight. Tell me, um, who else in the organization is going to be affected by the change that you seek for the organization? Well, uh, you know, them them making more money adds to their quality of life and this is a true thing that i've seen happen they start searching for more usually after you get into that second stage of impact they run out of stuff pretty quick right, on their own right 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 which is why the question asking right. is so powerful so at this point they may be a little bit like well uh, <laughs> they might and, need some help and, they might need some help yeah. so yeah, even just even decisive. Right. So the, the purpose of that question, who else in the organization is going to be affected by the change that you seek is a question that is the next gate. So the first gate was goals and vision. Next gate is buyers or the buying center. So who else is going to be involved in influencing your decision as a decision maker? I want to know who else is going to be affected by change because they're the ones that are going to want to have a voice in the decision to buy or not buy. So I'm now framing the second gate is framing the buying center. Now, just like I expanded the vision for the for the decision maker, I want to expand the buying center for the decision maker, not because I want a more complex sale, but because I want to explore all the people that could potentially blow up this deal later on. So the second gate is who else is involved? Who are they? Now, of course, because it's, if it becomes a complex sale, I'm now going to have to set up conversations with each of those individuals to understand what they want to, to find the alignment yes. with the CEO 
or the misalignment so I can better gauge how I'm positioned now with that buying center. And this is where you discover the threats. That's next. Now, now that's, that's yes. the next gate. What threats are going to prevent me from selling something into this organization? I, those threats could be, well, you have to be a um, preferred vendor for our organization. Okay, so I got to go through some some process. Now, we all know, if we're, if we're experienced salespeople, we all know that if the CEO wants you, she will get you. You don't have to go through the typical hurdles. If you're selling at a lower, lower level in the organization, you may have to go through those hurdles. There may be other threats that you know based on your history of selling into a space or selling your stuff into a certain market. Like, you know, maybe their cousin is in the same space. Maybe, they're, maybe they've acquired a business that does what you do. Maybe there's a, somebody on staff who's got a unique expertise that competes with you. The point is you have to be aware of what things could blow this up and expose the potential of those early on in the process. Don't wait. Do you think a SWOT analysis is a short form for discovering threats? It's too simple. It's too complicated. At this yeah, I think stage. it just depends on what you're selling. If you're selling something strategic, the SWOT analysis might make great sense. Typically, a SWOT analysis is about like, how do I look to the market and what kind of market opportunity do I have? Yeah. If I'm an analyzing my strengths, weaknesses, um, opportunities, and threats inside this business, that's, that's one way to go. Uh, one of the things that we're trying to do with the WINS model is in this, this matrix is simplify the sales process. What I want is, I, I, you know, I started my life learning, you know, the Miller-Hyman approach, right? Which is like blue sheets, green sheets. You got to read a book. You got to uh, go through weeks of training. And it's so frigging complicated. You can't hold it on your head. You need documents mm -hmm. and you need to invest hours. And so like all the organizations that optimized around Miller-Hyman back in the day, we only used one or two things. We couldn't possibly consume it all. So mm -hmm. I didn't want to create something, Chris, that, that required um, a, a, a level of complexity that a salesperson wouldn't want to execute. If, if you're at the first yeah. stage, the want stage, you think of three things. What, what are the goals or the vision that you're delivering? Who has to, Who's involved? And what are the threats that might prevent you from moving forward? If you're thinking about... <clears throat> sales as a game of probability go back to our original definition we want to we want to win more than we lose we want to win bigger and lose smaller over time well how do you lose smaller you get away from deals are going to waste your time fast you get to a fast no not necessarily a fast no from the client but a fast no from you you know what you're not ready you're not qualified to be in my pipeline I'm going to let you go or I'm going to, I'm going to move you back in the process until the time is right. So I've got to be mm. disciplined. I cannot just talk to somebody, anybody who's willing to fog a mirror and invest my time. I've mm. got to be disciplined. Yeah. I faced that this week. Somebody asked me for a solution we don't have and it's not one I want to build. And it's just like, okay, that's okay. This isn't going to, you know, this isn't going to work. Um, okay, so I want to go back to the role playing <laughs> because I think it's so powerful. Like, who else is affected by this? That transition right before you start ascertaining, discerning the threats. Uh, and so I'm telling you, who else is affected by this organizationally? Do you ever nudge if they're not taking it yeah. to how 
their personal life would affect get affected. Well, I mean, that is you know we we certainly gonna we're gonna certainly talk about impact, right? So wants and impacts. So that's the next stage, and there are three gates in that stage. But in the context of the buying center, the buyers, um, what I what I'm gonna nudge them on, nudge the decision maker to think outside of their typical box to expand that buying center. Uh, they might identify, well, if I'm selling technology, they might identify the IT team, the CIO, et cetera. I'm going to say, I'm going to suggest, how about the users? Will they be uh, represented? Well, why would the users be represented? Well, the biggest threat to earning ROI on the deployment of an application is whether it gets adopted. Who's going to represent the folks who are actually going to use this thing? Now, I'm going to ask that question. I'm going to actually stretch into the user group because I know in, you know, what we, the technology we sell is, is loved by users, for example. So I want to expand into my strengths. I'm going to ask about the CFO. When does the CFO get involved? Because I know that the impact stage is where I'm going to build the business case. So I want to get the, I want to get the CFO involved. And I want the decision maker to confirm for me all these people and their names so that when I go reach out to these folks, I have their endorsement, their internal referral to go now build this buying center. Why is this so important? And I did this without really without really knowing I was doing it back in, in the day when I was selling. But if you think about a buying center of five or four or 10 or 15 people, how often do they ever get together as a group to discuss your project? In the mm-hmm. course of their day, when we're so busy, and especially now when we're working from home, mm-hmm. it's never, the answer is never. So if you can if you can build the buying center, one you're you're being viewed as somebody who really cares about the success of the enterprise and every individual in that buying center. You now get to interview each of them individually, understand their wants, impacts, and needs. What's going to be a success for them personally? You can then you can then integrate and align everything they tell you into the conversation that the entire group has. You can elevate the most important components. Uh, so the decision maker considers them, and then you can bring into your proposal exactly the most compelling things that this group uh, wants um, and what their expectations are. And you can build ultimately a, a, a proposal that your competition could never possibly build and will never think about it because they're yeah. just thinking transactionally. Yeah. I, so I, this is the comment that keeps coming to my mind or the, the analogy keeps coming to my mind. This is such an inversion of a, of a pure-hearted, servant-oriented way to do what the most astute salespeople do in a negative way, thus Putin. <laughs> so, you know, he used to be a caseworker in the KGB. How did he go from where he was to being president over a normal, you know, over a number of years like four or five years, a crazy amount. And like how much he secured power and and there's there's stuff to all this. But the game that he plays is knowing what is a threat to you and destabilizing you with it. So like he meets with Merkel and and he knew Angela Merkel had some kind of childhood trauma with dogs. So what did he do when he met with her? Somebody was relaying this to me yesterday. I just found it so fascinating. He had like four giant dogs walk by right? He's discerning and trying to, in a negative way, destabilize out of that discernment 
But everything you're describing is being the most strategic person you can be, but with a kindness, Mm. a good servant-oriented perspective that says, I'm not here to discern to destabilize. I'm here to discern so that I can deploy a solution with you. I was stretching (laughs) for the D there. (laughs) You and I were just writing a proposal today and we talked about the shared goal, right? So yeah, the servant leader, um, to go back to some earlier comments, right? Think about servant leader and how that applies to sales. We serve a shared goal. We lead people Mm -hmm. down that shared path to change. So yeah, Putin's not, he's only serving himself. So he's going to be disruptive for his own benefit. We as salespeople, we as uh, people who build businesses, we who believe in impacting others in a positive way, uh, we are going to follow, we're going to sell in that servant leader mode. We're going to be identifying that shared goal for growth and we're going to serve that shared goal for growth and we're going to lead others along that path to change and that's what the that's what wins is all about it's a path to change it's a path to achieving a successful buying decision and it's and it's successful for everyone involved everyone has a piece of it and everyone grows and achieves that multiplier effect as a result of the buying decision Man, so, I, you know, this is an observation I think is helpful to draw out for the, way, the, the at least the way my brain learns. How much you're thoughtfully slowing down the process. So to, to go back to the role playing, you know, I'm ready to get the solution and you're slowing it down to say, how big can we get your vision? And you're slowing it down to to say, how many more people need to be involved in this? Which is like, so counterintuitive to a rushed, scarcity-minded process. Um, when, when I have, and, and to be fair to the listeners, most of my exchanges are CEO, founders, owners. So I am working with the decision maker who can just say, this is what we're going to do and this is the way it's going to be. But I always love it when they have a vision to get more people involved in this. Hey, do you think you could show up at this meeting and talk for a little bit and answer questions, get everybody on board and, you know, all of the things that involve this shared experience. I'm like, yeah, let's do that. We don't, we want them to be fired up about it, not forced on them. Uh, so I love that. And then the threats, what are the threats going to prevent me? So that's the gate for the wants. Right. Goals, buyers, and threats. Those are the three the Both three gates stretch. for once. Then you think about the impact stage, right? So, the, and the impact stage, the three gates are outcomes. So, what is the economic, strategic, and personal impact of success, failure, and doing nothing? We could spend, you know, 10 hours of podcast time just on that concept, but think of it simply as what are the outcomes that you expect? And it's the outcome that's going to build the business case or the case for the purchase decision. This is where we take wants plus impact equal value. This is where we actually start defining value in the terms, in the client's terms. And it's it's also why I expand this, Chris, to think about economic impact, that's money. Strategic impact is what you discussed earlier. I wanna be able to uh, pay my people more, or I wanna expand my team, or I wanna save jobs. 
or I need to build in higher quality. Those are strategic impacts. And then personal impact. You know, what would it mean to you to achieve these objectives? Well, it would mean the world to me. It would mean that I have elevated my, I've been elevated my role to the point where I can actually impact human lives. Like I can take care of the people in the way that I want to, you know? And so how does that make you feel? Uh, I also, and people look at me cross-eyed sometimes when I say this, but when I'm working with people, especially if I'm selling something significant and strategic, I'm going to, I used to always ask, well, when I, when I sold technology back in, back in the nineties, I would ask my buyer how they get compensated. I would want to know if they get any kind of bonus or remuneration, if we're able to improve that quality number to a certain point or decrease the, um, the, uh, poor materials outcomes, or if we could improve throughput, do you get a bonus? Is there money in it? Or ask the CEO, look, if we can double the revenue, what does that do for the value of the business? What does it do for the value of your stock, for example? So yeah, economic, strategic, personal impact. And I love to talk about success. I love to talk about failure. Why? Because my competition is not going to talk about failure. I want to know what if we try, what if you try this and you fail? Because what that does is it, is it makes my buyer imagine the worst outcome. And then they're going to say to themselves, well, shit, now I need a partner I can trust. I'm now, who are they going to trust? The person that avoids the failure question or the person that faces it head on and says, look, since failure isn't an option, let's make sure we build a solution that mitigates that risk for you. Does that sound like a plan? Yes. They love, they will love that. Right? That's awesome. So you're writing this down while they're talking here. You're writing down, you're looking up at them and asking questions and writing down. Yep. Correct? Yep. That's what I do. Using Uh, active listening. uh, So what I hear you saying is this, is that right? Well, and and a pro tip, that has helped me over the years. Cause at first I was like a little bit nervous to ask all these super personal questions. I wasn't doing it at the level of awareness, brilliance, sophistication, or uh, effectiveness of the wins model. Thus why we're here. Uh, but, but I did find that early on years ago, I was a little nervous to ask some of these nitty gritty questions. Um, and just having a pen and a pace, piece of paper out, and just jumping right in and asking, it it makes everything not weird, you know? It's because it, I think sometimes people are like, because uh, in my situation, business owners, founders, how much are you making? Are you glad to be making that much? Do you want to make more? You know, there's- Or how important, how important is income to you, right? Ooh, how, see, there you go. You yeah. just took it up to how the highest level. The, how how important, important is the value of your company? You know, and- The listeners can't <laughs> see this, but I'm, gonna, I'm writing that one down. I'm yeah, writing so, that one down. Because it's not important to everybody. Right. But as I say, can I say this? Right. 90% of business owners in the sexiest businesses, the ones that people love and think are amazing in, in private sector, they don't make as much. The least sexy businesses make yeah, more. Oftentimes. Oftentimes. And, and they're not happy with their pay. They want to make yeah, and, more. And people don't want to be treated like everybody else. So asking them a question like, how important is this to you? Makes people feel like, Ah, you're you're a sophisticated, thoughtful person. You recognize that we're not all written the same way or cut from the same stone. Yeah. And it, it just it just yeah. lowers 
you know, the bar, uh, the, 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 the threat threshold and it, and it creates that higher level of rapport and trust. And so what's powerful about this too, is because we've already identified members of the buying center, I can now have these outcome-based questions, economic, strategic, personal impact of success, failure, doing nothing with the folks in the buying center, the important folks in the buying center that I've identified as being critical to the process. I can also ask those people, the other uh, gates in the impact stage, which are criteria. So what is your criteria for success? What's the criteria for making a decision? And then the question about process. What is the process for getting to a decision? Notice we haven't talked about needs yet. We haven't talked about solutions yet. What we're doing is we're really understanding, right? And validating one, that there's an active buying cycle with the want stage. And then two, that there's a business case under the impact stage. You have nothing as a salesperson if you don't have the active that the uh, validation that there's an active buying cycle and agreement to what the business case is. Because if you don't have those two things, you can't define value. And then if you're going to give a price without value, the only thing the client can do with your price to know if it's the right price is compare it to other competition. And so if you don't build value, you actually build competition. You create competition because now you force that buyer to go compare your price to others. And where you might have had, you might have been the only partner or vendor they were talking to. Now you're forcing them to go find someone else to talk to. Genius. Genius. So my my thought is, because it'd be easy for me to jump back into this role playing. Should we do a part two for these games? Yeah, that's a great, that's uh, a great observation. Yeah, I'm looking at the time. Because <laughs> I think this is gold, man. This is gold. So let's not rush. Let's not rush it. Um, yeah, so so let's, so to your point before, Chris, summary, right? This idea of wants and impacts, it creates, it makes you the emotional favorite. Now, yes, mm. if you sell software and somebody wants to see a demo and you're dealing with someone who's not the decision maker, right? There's somebody at a low level who's trying to put together a list of vendors for an RFP. Are you going to be able to um, get at that moment to the decision maker? Probably not. They're probably going to say to you, look, I have to see your technology to see if it fits our requirements, et cetera, et cetera, before I can welcome you into the RFP process, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. You may not be able to talk to the decision maker, but if you believe, if you make the decision that because you're talking to a lower level person, that that you should not be asking them about wants to validate that there is an active buying cycle because an RFP is not an active buying cycle. If you believe that you shouldn't be asking them about the business case and the impacts, you are mistaken. You would, wherever you are in that process, you have got to ask these questions in order and allow the person you're talking to, to, to say, I don't know the answer to that question. What are the big business goals? I have no idea. Or let them surprise you. The last mm-hmm. software I sold worked in the HR space for it was a global, you know, global scale mentoring solution. And I would talk to folks in the HR group, folks that didn't have budget control, but they were closest to the user. But I would ask them, so what's the big picture? Like, what are you trying to accomplish? Ooh, our board of directors committed to our customers and to our investors that 40% of the leadership team globally would be women. 
by 2025. Wow, right? So I now know this is a strategic initiative with executive sponsorship. Now I have a better sense of where I stand in this deal than I would have if I just assumed this person couldn't give me the insight required by the wins model. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, so random feels like question out of nowhere, but it's inspired. What you just said there took my brain. Have you ever used the wins model to close a speaking engagement? That's a great question, man. Give me an idea what you're thinking. How would you do that? Well, because I've been like with speaking, you, you hop on these calls and usually you're the desired speaker uh, by the time you're getting a call with the event planner organizer, which is, I'm grateful. I don't take this for granted. Uh, kind of a step that I've been able to leap into. And I ask them, okay, what's the win for this event <laughs> for you? Like, right. you know, without even knowing the wins model at that time and just i want to know what for them but as i understand and live out and apply the wins model in the b2b space it is definitely leaking into my approach and thinking even there so it's like yeah what do you want to accomplish with this event what would be the impact of that right so now i'm establishing i'm the emotional favorite and then i become the rational favorite and it's like oh we can't not have him uh speak at this thing and so I've got an idea that I can't say out loud for our listeners that I'll have to share to you privately <laughs> that in our part two, maybe we can share some good news with us. Let's do it. Um, yeah, man, this has been awesome. Thanks for listening. If you've learned something or were inspired to try something new, please rate the podcast and share this episode with someone you know. If you'd like to learn more, visit and connect with me, James, at floristgroup.com. F-L-O-R-I-S-S group.com. And if you want to connect with me, Chris, check out SightShift, S-I-G-H-T, shift.com. Peace. Peace.